Hello, welcome to Farm to Fork, a program dedicated to exploring how food and drink are produced, delivered, and served throughout the Pioneer Valley. In every episode, we speak with some of the brightest lights in the Valley's culinary world, from gleaners, gatherers, hunters, fishermen, farmers, and packagers, to brewers and restaurateurs, and everyone in between. My name is Jessica, co-host Sue Timberlake and show producer Tom Clark join me in the studio. So before we jump into our interview, I want to announce that this will be the final live show of Farm to Fork here on Valley Free Radio. Sue and I volunteered uh, to take over this radio show from the original crew about a year after they did their last show. I've been creating shows for about 10 years now, uh, minus about a year and a half uh, during the beginning of COVID. So I personally feel it is time for me to focus on other projects, but I've enjoyed having the opportunity to learn how to create a radio show, as well as meeting and learning from all our guests over the years. So thank you, loyal listeners and guests, because without you, we wouldn't have been able to offer a radio show focused on local food producers. So today we'll be talking with Ryan Nestor, member of Eggshare Cooperative in Greenfield, Massachusetts. So Ryan, how did the Eggshare Cooperative get its start? Um, in, I think it was 2019, it started with um, the, the members of the Pleasant Street Community Garden um, had been through a process of where the... the the property that the Pleasant Street Community Garden on was um, town land, and it was a. Can you, can you speak in? It was a school building, and um, that school building was torn down to make way for the John Zahn Community Center, which is what's there now. And so the the gardeners were kind of displaced by that process, and um, when they came back to gardening. Um, they wanted to kind of renew the soil in that location. So in, in uh, addition to doing some remineralization remineral, re, re and composting and stuff, um, uh, Martin Anderton, who's uh, uh, Homestead Habitats is his uh, moniker for his, his, his dealings, um, he offered or volunteered to bring a small flock of chickens in the first year where they planted cover crops uh, on the community garden and he rotated the chickens um, through the different garden plots throughout that summer. And then uh, in 2020, uh, the chickens were already there. Um, so that's when the, the co-op was formed to kind of figure out what to, how to, to manage the chickens from there on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and Ryan, um, how does the Eggshare Cooperative work Exactly. Um, well, it's pretty simple. We have seven days in a week, and so we we our goal is to have seven families or seven members. Um, a lot of our members are families uh, with children, and each, everybody gets a day. And basically, um, they do the chores. Uh, they collect the eggs, and then we have uh, monthly, sometimes less than monthly, work days um, where we all do other you know group activities and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, that's the simple explanation that I give people, but obviously okay. there's a lot more to it than that. Oh, I'm sure. Um, so what are the uh, short-term and long-term goals of the Eggshare Cooperative? Sure. Um, short-term, really, it's just um, keeping the project viable for the current members um, while trying to remain committed to producing the best quality eggs and um, 
within like a regenerative practice um, where the animals and plants and, and the soil microbes and stuff have the, the, the best health that we can provide for them. Mm-hmm. Long term, um, we've talked about um, creating kind of a scalable model um, where we can kind of extend and scale um, our ideas and what we've learned um, to other communities in Franklin County or Greenfield or anywhere really um, that want to want to have chickens, want to kind of create a little bit of, of resiliency in their uh, their food source. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's great. That's, I love the idea. So I read an article um, in the Recorder newspaper that um, the Eggshare Cooperative members want to, as you just mentioned, address food insecurity. Um, well, you were, you were talking about by, um, resiliency, rather. Um, so address food insecurity in the community. So how do you plan to do that? And have you had success so far? Um, we've, we've had some success within, within our group, um, with, with people of different means, obviously, um, members, um, we hope to, as I said, grow. And, um, for a period we did have another kind of offshoot coop, uh, in another neighborhood called Cheapside in Greenfield. Um, that turned out to not be as viable as we'd hoped. They had problems with membership and stuff. So they've recently mm-hmm. kind of drawn down and, and we no longer have a second coop. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think addressing food security is still a key part of our mission. And um, that's what drew me personally. That and the kind of regenerative aspects of it is what drew me personally to mm-hmm. um, the project. And I think that, um, you know, we think that, that, eggs are really a great food source. Um, but there's a big discrepancy in, in terms of when you go to the market, um, with what you're getting in terms of not just like, I mean, the first thing is, is nutrient density with any food. When you go to the the store, you have no real guarantee of of nutrient density, whether it's organic or conventional or or what have you, Mm -hmm. but also the quality of life of the animals, um, and the environmental impact of, you know, whether it's trucking or just poor agricultural management practices. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, f- you know, we feel that like this model of, of a kind of urban and regenerative uh, agriculture can begin to address some of those issues and also just food deserts, food insecurity in an, in an urban landscape. Um, and really, when I talk about regenerative um one of the biggest aspects to regenerative agriculture that kind of that that term is kind of a hot term right now um it gets thrown around a lot but one of the their key differentiating aspects to it when we talk about what's regenerative versus sustainable versus organic is livestock it's it's including livestock in the picture so obviously for a small farm or a market garden or an urban agriculture program, like a community garden like ours, um, chickens are, are the obvious livestock that you, the kind of starter, you know, <laughs> animal to right, work they're with. They're small. Yeah. So that, that's kind of what, where we're, where, where we fit in to that picture of like food resiliency. Um, and, and, you know, we feel like, although perhaps part of our, 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 future growth relies on a need, um, a, a greater need for, for food, uh, local food. Um, we're kind of trying to build those structures now so that if 
the time comes when there is that need, we can help provide it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So that's our goal. Yeah, you brought up a good point about when you go in the store, you're not really, I mean, it's, it is very confusing trying to purchase eggs because, of course, you know, when they came out with the <clears throat> free range, free range eggs, and then sure. all of a sudden I heard, oh, well, free range, you know, could just be a pathway outside the barn where the chickens, you know, they have a little bit of space. So most people would say that's not really free range. Right. Um, yeah, so these yeah, things you don't become, really know what you're getting. These things become, <laughs> we, they start, and you know, I, I like grew up in southern Vermont and mm-hmm. with uh, organic meaning something that it no longer means because that term has been co-opted and it's become a marketing term. And the same thing with all these other things is I'm sure sooner or later regenerative is also going to just become a marketing term. But, mm-hmm. you know, no. we have to try and retain some of the original meaning of it, I think. Mm-hmm. So in, ter- in terms of the chickens at the um, the co-op, how much space do they do they have? Um, it's less than an range. acre. I, I mean, we're mm-hmm. we're you know we're we use like a small portion of the the the, the backyard essentially of the John Zahn Center. Um, most of it is the community garden plot. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a that's one of the main challenges is, is the amount of space, mm-hmm. you know, per bird. And we started, I think with like on the order of eight to 10 or 12 birds and, um, a, a small coop. And that really didn't seem like enough birds to kind of provide enough eggs for everyone that was involved. If you want to get a dozen eggs on your day, you have to mm-hmm. have 18, 20 birds. Um, so we grew up from there. So the density of animals per square foot has increased. Mm-hmm. So the challenge there is, you know, one of the other kind of building blocks of this regenerative idea is keeping roots in the ground. So the chickens can devastate, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of a lot of the forage, a lot of the cover crops we put in. So we've been experimenting quite a bit um, with keeping, you know, living roots in the soil and and what varieties and kind of diversity of plants Mm -hmm. are best served for that kind of high density grazing. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's that's been a challenge. We've also recently kind of been working on integrating or reintegrating really the chickens with the garden. So um, there was some plots that were um, fallow this year at the garden and some of them were, you know, went to went to weeds, went to cover cropping. Um, and we've been taking a few chickens. They kind of go on vacation. They have a little pied a terre like over in the garden and they'll get their little plot. Four, four to six chickens will move them around. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's helped too. Um, so yeah, I'd say it's, you know, the original question, it's probably a quarter of an acre to, to a little bit more that we've got these chickens on. Yeah, for all the chickens. Yeah, for all the chickens. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. pretty dense. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, I was going to ask, you know, how might the chickens interact with the community garden space and you're, so you're mentioning the benefit of the chickens to the garden space in some respects. Yeah. Yeah. They can also devastate if they're able to get into the garden. We don't just let them go. Um, and and Mm -hmm. ideally, you know, we're working, (laughs) we're working with the community garden. Mm -hmm. Um, like I'm a member of both. We have a few overlapping members, um, to try and, because there's a composting program over there, um, and we obviously have, you know, one of our, and again, the 
the the goal of, of like a regenerative uh, model is really thinking about your inputs and your outputs. Mm -hmm. And so one of our outputs, in addition to eggs, is chicken manure. And mm -hmm. so how do we manage that? How do we, you know, use that? And so obviously the garden um, and also just improving the soil in our, because what we started with was basically ground rock, you know, it was not, mm -hmm. it was not soil. Um, mm -hmm. So that's been, that's been part of the conversation with the garden now that we've, improve the we've had three years uh to improve the soil at the coop um we're starting to think about how can we you know through the composting and stuff like bring some more fertility over to the garden so that we're not importing other materials to the garden either mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so ryan are there other uh, egg cooperatives in the pioneer valley that you're aware of um i people have mentioned one maybe in Northampton. Um, but I, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, we haven't had, I haven't had contact with any others. Um, mm -hmm. there may be though. Okay. When, well, online, um, were the founders of the egg share cooperative, uh, inspired by any other egg sharing projects? It's possible. I mean, again, Martin Anderton, um, he was kind of our chicken guru. Um, and he's one of, he's kind of was the visionary, um, at the outset. And he is, he's very well into the world of chickens and, and stuff. So he may have, he may very well have like looked into other, um, cooperatives and stuff, but I'm not aware of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so can you imagine any challenge? So a brand new group that maybe you were consulting with, can you imagine any challenges they might run up against? in terms of picking a certain location and, you know, permissions they might need to, to get to start up. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we were really lucky. I mean, Greenfield in general, I think we're really lucky, um, with some, some of the local governance, uh, not all of it, but, um, some of it to have a lot of people who are, you know, dedicated to finding uses for public land. That's a big part of this mm -hmm. is, um, this is, you know, land that belongs to the citizens. Um, so we're using our own land to do this project. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's un you know, unused land. Uh, and we were lucky to have some advocates that were part of the John Zahn center, um, you know, representing us at meetings and stuff. So that's a big hurdle. Um, mm -hmm. but hopefully in Greenfield, you know, we've started to overcome that by being a presence in the community. So I think like the biggest thing you have to do is, is take action and, and try, you know, if you don't, if you don't try, um, if you don't do something, even if it's, you know, guerrilla, uh, at the start, you know, you get your foot in the door. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the, the real hurdles are, I mean, with animals, it's, it's everything, right? Like there's, there's a million things. Um, but not the least of which is just membership. It's just, it's the people too. It's, it's keeping, you know, when you have to have seven groups of people or seven individuals, it's, it's keeping people interested. It's keeping people engaged. It's keeping people, it gets harder for some people in the winter. Um, so that's mm -hmm. been a difficult time, um, to, to have member turnover and stuff. Um, but yeah, for starting out, I mean, that's what we're hoping to do is to, to kind of reach out and say, well, here's some things you might run into, like how to build a coop. Mm -hmm. Um, because in our climate it's, you know, chickens are, especially some of the breeds, um, that we're working with, like are really 
really resilient animals. Mm-hmm. Um, they have good survival instincts and they can keep themselves warm, but you do need to provide shelter. Um, you do need to provide shade and water and all these things. And so, you know, those are the lessons uh, that we've learned um, getting started with this. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Farm to Fork on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP 103.3 FM in Northampton. And we're talking with Ryan Nestor, member of Eggshare Cooperative in Greenfield, Massachusetts. So, Ryan, you mentioned the chicken manure, which I don't really remember ever smelling it, but I've heard it's like the stinkiest poop around. So has a that pig, has, has that been a problem? Oh, um, so pigs is worse. Yeah, I mean, it is gross, uh, but when you see you know, what it can do for the, the, the soil. It's, it's kind of like gold. Um, mm-hmm. we, one of the, the way, so I'm, I'm of the mind that especially with this kind of group, um, you want to work smarter, um, rather than harder. And so, uh, clean up and mucking and stuff is not something that anybody wants to do. Um, mm-hmm. So with that in mind, when we designed our kind of beta or second round of coop, uh, we designed it with um, a deep litter uh, in mind, which is basically rather than a clean environment where you have to clean up yeah. or you know sand where you have to still remove the, the manure, um, we're, we're building a deep layer of litter. And so it's kind of a compost pile that's at the ba- that's in the bottom of the coop and that has many advantages. One is that you know you don't have to remove it. You do have to remove it all at once, like say in spring. Um, mm-hmm. but you're not constantly kind of keeping up with that. The other is it desiccates the manure um, so you don't have as much of the smell. Mm-hmm. And then in the winter time, it can actually provide quite a bit of insulation and even heat up a little bit and help keep the coop warm, um, which is great. Um, mm-hmm. So last winter was our first winter, our first full winter where we kept the chickens in their location with these new coops. Um, and that worked well. So we're still kind of experimenting um, with a deep litter coop. Um, mm-hmm. That's an ongoing thing. Yeah. So it's like, it's, is it kind of like a composting toilet where you throw the shavings in on top and it? Basically, you're just layering down, pine shavings, the, yeah, the, trying okay. to keep, you know, not too wet, not too dry. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a fine line, but yeah. Yeah. So, Ryan, what kinds of chickens uh, do you raise and how would you describe them? Sure. Um, we started um, with a lot. Martin, um, again, he was he's where we got our first kind of batches of chickens and he had a lot of rescues uh and a lot of kind of mutts and other stuff um so that was our first kind of round of chickens um but in general um we were looking for obviously layers um chickens that are are laying eggs over Mm -hmm. meat chickens or or whatever um and then uh really just, I guess, um, this isn't my area of expertise. So I had to ask Mm -hmm. some of the members of the group, including Martin, he helped me out with this, but Mm -hmm. it seems like we have a range. We have the Rhode Island reds, which are are, are pretty ubiquitous around here. They're like the state bird of Rhode Island or whatever. So you see those all over the place. Mm -hmm. Uh, French Morans, uh, Coco Morans, Easter Egger, Golden Comet. Um, those are kind of the official breeds, but like I said, we have a few others that don't really fit any breed specification mm-hmm. and those are really chosen um 
for their their temperament to some extent because you know we were a lot of us have kids and we wanted a hands-on kind of situation mm-hmm. um but then also for their survival instinct and their kind of um ability to forage and stuff so because they we wanted them to fit our plan as well so mm-hmm. the um we recently i guess got the uh what was it um the comet mm-hmm. um gold i think it's golden comet um, and those are working out really well. Those are the ones that seem to really adapt well to the foraging and like to eat all sorts of wild stuff. And, you know, um, so yeah, we have a wide variety and, and again, that's another experiment. Like I think we got the the reds because that was what was available. Um, we've raised chickens before from egg. Um, we might do that again in the future, but this last year we needed to upper numbers and we decided to buy pullets instead. So that was just what was available. So it's kind of a combination of both just what we can get and what we want. Mm-hmm. So are you, are you aware are there, I mean, I was just thinking in terms of some animals, you know, they maybe some breed, I don't know if it has to do with breeds, but maybe get along better than others. Do, do you have any issues with yeah, if you're gonna, breeds if you're thinking about getting into chickens, mm-hmm. uh, one thing you should know is the pecking order thing is very real, mm. and it's almost unavoidable. I mean, you have to do your best um, to give them space. So, like, even you know when they're enclosed, they need enough space to move past one another. Mm-hmm. You want to have if you have more than like a handful, um, like five or six chickens will form like a sort of a little group. Mm. Um, but then if you have beyond that, you're going to actually end up with a couple little clicks and <laughs> you need to have multiple doors in your coop so that they're not trying to fight over the doors. We have multiple feeders, so they're not fighting over feed. Um, they peck each other. They're really nasty to one another. Mm. Um, but th- you know, you do, you do everything you can. We've, we've recently, um, gotten the little aprons, um, to keep them from pecking each other's back feathers, which is a big, a big thing so mm-hmm. that they're not hurting each other. So um, the apron goes over their back. Oh, yeah. It's not like a front apron. It's like a back apron. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they can be pretty brutal. I mean, but that's just, you know, that's the way chickens are. I think, mm-hmm. you know, it's almost unavoidable if you're dealing with these birds, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm sure there's some that are, have, are better tempered than others, but like I said, we have a mixture, so we see it all. Um, mm-hmm. And the younger ones have to be like carefully integrated into the flock so that they're not getting abused, you know, basically all at once. So, mm-hmm. so are there, is it sort of like a fi- introducing a fish to a tank? Is yeah, there's kind of, yeah, certain strategies yeah. to, yeah, you want to have them in proximity to one another, but not completely joined. And we actually have two coops, so we have our older coop still where we, when we brought in a new batch of chickens or when we raised chickens, they were in their own coop for the first couple months, mm-hmm. especially when they're babies uh, or a couple weeks if they're you know older. And then they get put, the fences get put close together so they can kind of see each other like you would with a fish in a bag. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then eventually you just kind of join them together, let the new chickens go to whichever coop they fe- feel comfortable with, but then eventually you got to kind of force them all in the big coop and they work it out. Mm-hmm. You have to have enough space, you know, you have to have enough roosting space, especially, and, and laying space. Mm-hmm. Otherwise they'll fight over that. So that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's stuff that we've learned, you know, the kind of general, like we have four nesting boxes or five for 20 chickens is about right. Um, and that mm-hmm. can vary. So it's just stuff that you have to kind of dial in. Mm-hmm, 
So are there any other physical structures you are are needing for the co-op besides the chicken houses? Um, shade structures are really great. If you have full sun, like we have, like I said, we were, we're we have um, some shade cause we have some trees and we're working on more trees. Uh, we're going towards more of a kind of like Silva pasture kind of setup rather than just a, an empty yard. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if you don't have shade in the summer, um, back, the birds can get easily overheated. Um, so we have just like little simple shade structures, tarps, stuff like that, but really like a big coop that's shaded in the summer, um, is is all you really need, but it's nice to have a little more shade uh, here and there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So were were you able to purchase the physical structures, uh, <clears throat> or did you build them? No, I mean Martin built the first coop, um, and then he built the the members of the spinoff coop, the Cheapside coop. They built another coop uh, that was a deep litter style, uh, like a hoop coop. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of took that design and, and kind of reworked it a little bit for our, our, um, location. And that's, um, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it, I'm sure you could buy a coupe, but this, mm-hmm. if you're handy or if you have a group of people, like having somebody who has a little bit of carpentry know-how, it's a very simple thing. You could do it with a circular saw if you needed to, like you don't need, mm-hmm great tools and and it's basically a, a wooden two by four frame um it's got some two by sixes and then it's just um cattle panels mm-hmm. uh like curved over to form uh, a hoop over the top and then the great thing about that is um we attach like white poly or tarp on top in the summer and then we remove that and we've got greenhouse plastic underneath for the winter so it 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 warms up nicely in the sun in the winter so it's a bit like a greenhouse um when we when we use the plastic so it keeps them warm Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah that's great um who so in what ways um did the design plan change from the first coupe to the second one uh, the original coupe was like a chicken tractor a large chicken tractor um Mm -hmm. And it, 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 it worked great and it was, it was built entirely out of wood, which was a nice thing. I mean, some chicken wire and stuff, um, Mm -hmm. which was nice. Um, but we found again that it, it was not big enough for the number of birds we wanted. Mm. Um, and we didn't really need, uh, it to be mobile because we now just kind of, we move our fence Mm-hmm. kind of rotate around in like a clover leaf pattern sort of. Um, so that was kind of the main design consideration there was like, but we're going to build a stationary coop. Uh, I mean, you can still lift it up with a group of people, um, but it stayed in the same place. Um, and we added, you know, more doors and more laying boxes, more roosting space and more square footage because we wanted to, them to spend the winter in there. Um, mm-hmm. So when you have them, you know, if you, if you just had your chickens outside, in the nice months, you don't need a very big coop. You just need a, you know, a foot per bird of roosting space and some egg boxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you want to be inside in the winter, they get a little stir crazy. So you, you need to have some indoor space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we need to take a station break, but please stay with us because when we return, we'll continue our, uh, our discussion with Ryan uh, Nestor, member of Eggshare Cooperative in Greenfield, Massachusetts. You're listening to Farm to Fork on Valley Free Radio, 103.3 FM, an independent nonprofit community-run station in Northampton, Massachusetts. 
The show streams on valleyfreeradio.org where you can also find our program schedule and become involved with the station. about the food bank or get support for yourself and your family go to foodbankwma.org or call 413-247-9738 the food bank of western mass committed to making sure our neighbors have enough to eat and leading the community to end hunger hi tune into valley free radio mondays 6 to 8 p.m for reggae down a reggae music show with rasta paul as host and reggae music from all over the world from jamaican to iceland reggae music is listened to popular in the rastafarian culture and values that apply to all people that's reggae down mondays 6 to 8 p.m on valley free radio we love the reggae we love the dance hall we love the music Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP, 103.3, Northampton. The Food Bank of Western Massachusetts provides healthy food to families and individuals facing hunger in our region. And right now, with food insecurity the highest it's been in recent years, the Food Bank is distributing more emergency food than ever. Learn more about the Food Bank or get support for yourself and your family. Go to foodbankwma.org or call 413-247-9738. The Food Bank of Western Mass, committed to making sure our neighbors have enough to eat and leading the community to end hunger. Hi, I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play, and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. This breaks my heart, and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Thank you, River Valley Co-op, for your support of Valley Free Radio. River Valley Co-op specializes in fresh, local, and organically grown foods, fresh produce, meat and seafood, cheese and dairy, bread and baked goods, and an in-house deli, along with a wide selection of bulk foods and a large selection of natural and organic grocery items. Owned by its customers, although everyone is welcome. Co-op ownership is not required. Open daily 8 to 10, 330 North King Street, Northampton. Phone 413-584-2665, rivervalleymarket.com. Co-op. Thank you, River Valley Co-op, for your support of free speech in the Pioneer Valley. The views and opinions expressed on WXOJLP are solely those of the original hosts of their respective programs. These views and opinions do not necessarily represent those of Valley Free Radio Incorporated, its volunteers, or any other hosts, guests, or programs on this station. My name is Jessica, Sue Timberlake co-host and show producer Tom Clark joined me in the studio. We've been talking with Ryan Nestor, member of Eggshare Cooperative in Greenfield, Massachusetts. Um, so Ryan, I was curious, you know, you mentioned wood for the chicken coops, um, but I was curious if, you know, are you able to find materials, you know, use materials that are, keep it cheaper that anyone could find somewhere and incorporate into the chicken coop or do you have to buy? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we, we, um, because of the size and kind of, we had a little bit of a time constraint. Um, we, we did purchase just, you know, our, our lumber at like COVID lumber prices even (laughs) to, to do it. And Mm -hmm. our coop was still, you know, under 500 bucks, um, Mm -hmm. which 
is pretty nice. That's the kind of thing like we're thinking like if if we needed to raise money to build another coop in another neighborhood, that's totally doable. Mm-hmm. Um, and and getting chickens, obviously, but that's not very expensive. So it's you know, but I, I think for sure if you look on the internet, there's people who build coops out of all sorts of things, um, mm-hmm. and they're really not. Um, tremendously complicated to build. And like I said, the chickens are pretty resilient. I think depending on where you are, um, your main concern might be predators and that, you know, your, your, your investment then is going to be in, in hardware cloth and, and, and wire mesh and, and not so much your building materials. Like really you could just kind of build your whole coop out of wire mesh. If you're, Mm. you know, if that's your main thing, um, one of the good sides, I think, of being in an urban environment is we don't really have the predator pressure. We have uh, we have hawks. Mm-hmm. Um, they've taken some chickens in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we tend to have like maybe dogs is the biggest problem, but they seem to be managed well by their owners and we haven't really had any problems with them. Uh, we've had a few problems with neighborhood kids, but I don't think they're really going to, you know, do do they're going to harass the chickens maybe and get chased off. But, uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, so that's really your main thing is making sure I'm sure any of you listeners who have talked to people with chickens, uh, you know, there's a, there's a pretty good chance you're going to lose some birds or all of your birds if Mm -hmm. a fox gets in or something. So, and then also, you know, um, uh, rats, you know, rats are, if you have livestock, you're going to have to deal with rats. So that's another design consideration. We ended up lining, basically lining our entire floor, um, with hardware cloth so that the rats can't tunnel in, um, using, um, feed buckets that, uh, you can put caps on. So they're like, they dispense a little bit of food at a time. They're pretty low tech. You can get them on Amazon or eBay or whatever. Um, rather than just an open tray of food, because that's going to bring in even songbirds. Like if they can get in, we had the, the, uh, the avian flu scare too. So, you know, that's another thing. There's a lot of challenges, um, but you know, they can all be, they can all be dealt with. Um, uh, chicken health is another thing that's really challenging for a group of people. I think if, if you're going to have backyard birds, um, you really should be prepared, um, to, to, to help your chickens, um, out because taking a chicken to a vet is a really expensive proposition. And, and most of the solutions that they're going to offer you are just going to be what you would find uh, recommended on the internet for the most part. Mm. Um, we have not had a terrible time with disease or anything like that, but chickens do get parasites. They get mites. Um, you know, they can get intestinal parasites. We've, opted to not use, uh, like ivermectin or any of those kind of, uh, like I would say pharmaceutical drugs and treatments. Yeah. So we'd use more of a holistic, uh, approach. And again, that, you know, one of the reasons for that to, to go back to the regenerative conversation, um, when you introduce something that's kind of a broad spectrum, miticide or uh, an antifungal, um, that doesn't stay in the chicken's body. You know, you're giving them enough of a dose that it's going to pass through, it's going to go into their poop and it's going to go into your soil. And, you know, 
you want composting mites, you want certain bugs in your soil. Um, and then also chickens, and in our experience, I think we've noticed, and this is anecdotal, we haven't really done a whole lot of real science, but you know, the times that our chickens get sick are when they've plucked the field bare and they're on just dirt and, and it's just not a healthy ecosystem around them. And so that's, again, why we try and keep them in a kind of, you know, in a real like in a biomimicry situation, if you will, where they're like surrounded by plants and living things. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, we we do give them more holistic stuff. We give them uh, cider vinegar in their water. We give them a lot of garlic, and then there's one um, one uh, Korean natural farming preparation called Oriental Herbal Nutrient that's basically just uh, a fermented blend of licorice and garlic and cinnamon and uh, angelica, um, and that's something we just give really low doses of to kind of keep those those there's compounds in there to to keep out keep the parasites down and stuff like that. And then cleaning up, you know, you could keep it clean. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, chicken health, you know, like bumblefoot is another thing. There's a bunch of different diseases. Um, we've tried another part of our model and our, our community, the community aspect of our project is um, educating people who have backyard chickens. So um, we've, we've had a few, few chicken health classes. We have, kind of average one per year. We'll probably have another one in the spring or, or, or summer where we um, will do a training and invite people who have backyard chickens to learn the basic like, you know, beak to beak to tail kind of like checkup. Um, so you can you can figure out for yourself what's wrong before it becomes a, a too big of an issue. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, there's there's plenty of stuff there to get into, but uh, mm -hmm. most of it's pretty gross. Uh, <laughs> so Ryan, how can how can an individual find out about your training program and when it's going to happen and where? Um, well, we have uh, our email is eggsharecoop, all one word, no uh, hyphen in co-op. So it actually looks like eggsharecoop, which also works, at gmail.com. Um, there's also, I've just, I've just started a Discord um, that's for... I'm trying to get the Eggshare co-op on board the, the, the Pleasant Street Garden. And then anybody else who's interested in Greenfield, Franklin County, uh, regenerative projects, um, and that's called Greenfield Soil. Um, so you can also, if you're interested in joining that or just want to contact me, um, you, can, you can send an email to info at greenfieldsoil.com. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, if you're interested, yeah, but if you, specifically if you're interested in the egg share co-op or if you're in Greenfield, especially in the kind of, you know, central Greenfield area, uh, around Pleasant street, um, egg share co-op at Gmail, um, is, is our contact. Mm -hmm. And do you do tours of someone emailed and said, Hey, can I come check out your, Oh, for sure. Yeah. I live right. I, I, a lot of people just walk up and, Start. We, we love that. Like there's always in the summertime, in the spring, there's always people around the, the community garden and the, the egg share coop. Um, but yeah, if, if you want to stop by and say hi, what we'll do if you're interested, even if you don't want to become a member of either or either organization, the community garden or the coop um, is you're welcome uh, to to meet with us, uh, to come to a work day, especially um, and help out and just see what everything's about. 
we really want to encourage people, even if you can't commit to a garden plot or to the chicken coop, we have community garden space um, and, and community kind of chicken projects too that that we welcome uh, you know anyone who wants to get involved, uh, even if it's just administratively or if you have ideas like we really welcome that. So definitely contact us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so you were, when you were talking about chicken health, you made me think about uh, medicinal plants and medicinal herbs sure. for people. Do those work for chickens too, or do you have? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, if you're, you know, like I am, if you're, if that's, if that's where you come from, a lot of that stuff works. Um, we, we started growing, um, garlic, obviously. Um, what else? Uh, the epizote, um, which is one that is, is a, that's a Mexican culinary herb, um, that I've kind of had good luck with because the chickens, the hard thing with the chickens is you got, if you want to grow something all the way to seed or to fruit, you have to make sure it's not something that they're just going to decimate when it's tiny. Mm -hmm. So epizote is one of those, uh, fennel is one of those giant fennel, um, that we grow for the seed, not for the bulb. Mm -hmm. Um, and those are all, you know, those are mints are really good. So we've had good luck with those because they won't completely kill them, you know, they're hard to kill. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we've, we've, we've managed to have good luck with a few different species uh, of, of the kind of more medicinal things, but yeah, like, you know, especially the mints and stuff, they love that stuff. And so I encourage people, even if we're not there, like there's a community garden plot there with a bunch of like oregano and, and all the mint species and they love that stuff. So if you just want a deadhead or pluck, you know, um, some mint and give it to them, they love that stuff. So mm-hmm. Uh, so Ryan, what are the what would you say are the benefits of raising chickens uh, on a small community scale versus a huge industrial scale or even just a single home scale? Yeah, I mean, you know what you're getting. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and not to, to to pile on the organic thing, but you know, we we uh, we had we used organic feed um, for a while and uh, I won't name the the, the brand, but the chickens were unhealthy. Um, and so it was recommended to us that we switch to a non-organic brand that was more really targeted at their health. Mm-hmm. And we had, we've, our, our, you know, the number of eggs and the health of the chickens has gone through the roof. And that's the thing you don't see when you're buying eggs is, is the health of the chickens mm-hmm. translates directly, um, to, the nutrient density, you know, if they're not getting enough calcium, if they're not getting enough, whatever it is, you know, the precursors to amino acids in their diet, they're not going to make those amino acids aren't just going to come out of space and like materialize themselves in your eggs. Like, um, and you know, there's not, uh, so far there's the, the, there's the, uh, what's it called? The, the biometer, uh, nutrient density biometer is something that, uh, um, it may be coming, but right now there's no way to, to go and, and test an egg in the grocery store to see what the nutrient density of it is. You know you're going to get protein. Okay, great. But what about all this other stuff? What kind of protein are you getting? And so when you see your chickens you know, foraging on a variety of different uh, uh, forage and you're feeding them healthy food, um, you, know, you know what you're getting. You know that you're getting something that is healthy um, and you can feed your family without, you know, any, any question. Mm -hmm. And what about flavor or taste of the eggs? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I you know, the the eggs are are awesome. Obviously, I mean, I. I like survived the pandemic on egg tacos, like pretty much like every day. So yeah, there's no question about that. They, they taste better and it could just be psychological, you know, like it's like anything, if you grow it yourself, uh, it tends to taste better, but, uh, yeah, you know, they're, they're, they're delicious and you have plenty of them. I mean, when you raise chickens, if you have a family and you have a couple chickens, you can really not ever have to shop for eggs. Um, yeah. Nice. You're listening to Farm to Fork on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP 103.3 FM in Northampton. And we're talking with Ryan Nestor, member of Eggshare Cooperative in Greenfield, Massachusetts. Uh, so, Ryan, uh, I was curious, uh, what do members do with excess eggs uh, and are they ever sold? Um, yeah, I doubt we'd, we'd sell them. Um, we're, we'd actually just got to the point where we're having more eggs than we could handle. Mm -hmm. I think a few people are, you know, using their discretion, getting them to people that need them or want them. Um, if, you know, we have a few families with a, with, you know, two kids, uh, and you know, they can probably use all the eggs they can get. Mm -hmm. Um, but ideally I think if we did have a problem, that problem, um, we would, we've talked about, um, dealing with it in more of a, like, a like using it as an opportunity for a mutual aid arrangement. Um, because that's kind of in line with our, our ideals. Um, mm -hmm. and again, we don't really have, like we call ourselves a co-op, a co-op where we don't, we're not actually legally a co-op. Um, we're more of a kind of collective. We do everything on consensus. Like, mm -hmm. so when we have that problem again with whatever membership we have at that moment, um, we'll address it. But, you know, when we got up to like 22 birds, we did find that, yeah, you get like 18 eggs, like what are you really going to do with 18 eggs? So you do have to find something to do with them. Um, so again, like we're going to hopefully if we have that problem, we'll look to the community and need within the community. We've talked about perhaps um, there's the community fridge idea and um, that might be something that we try. But again, I don't know if that's something we can do on our own. We might have to find another group that wants to put, you know, a fridge at our location or something and then we can throw extra eggs in there. Um, I'm sure there's tons of things we could do. Um, but yeah, for the, for the time for now, like it's enough for our families pretty much, uh, and not much more. Mm -hmm. So when you say community fridge, you mean people come along and take what they take want what you and need put, or leave what you have. Leave yeah. what they have. Okay. Yeah. Um, so ha have any members gotten tired of eating eggs so far? <laughs> um, maybe I, like I said, I, I, I didn't like, I, I, uh, <laughs> I think my son might be tired of eating eggs. Like we used to feed him a lot of eggs and now he doesn't like them so much, but I've, you know, done my part and I make, I have, I've, I always used to, I used to be a chef. So like, I kind of like refined my egg taco recipe and now I've got it pretty much like right where I need it and it's delicious. So, um, yeah. So you haven't mentioned a rooster thus far. Um, so I'm assuming you don't have a rooster on site so, and well, don't need a rooster. We've, we have had rooster. We actually, oh, yeah. We raised um, eight eight chicks, eight eggs to mm. to to adulthood. Um, not last summer, the summer before, and seven of them turned out to be roosters, uh, which was not good. That was not <laughs> right. planned, and so obviously you can't 
you can't have roosters in the city limits because mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. if you've ever lived near a rooster, you know why. Um, and so we were getting, you know, the town was probably getting calls from halfway across town. Um, so we quickly, as soon as they started crowing, we identified the ones that were the roosters and we removed them. Um, and process them and somebody ended up eating them, mm-hmm. um, because we couldn't rehome them. Um, but yeah, so we, we, I would love to have a rooster cause you know, they're, they're great, um, to protect the flock and, um, kind of help with the social order a little bit, um, mm-hmm. and probably deal with the rats a little bit, uh, mice and stuff. Um, but yeah, we were not allowed to have roosters. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So if anybody knows of a place to get rid of roosters, if you ever had to have any more, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> so I actually, uh, I visited a farm up in Vermont and there were some chickens there and I was standing listening to whoever was, you know, giving the lecture. Uh, and all of a sudden I felt this peck on my leg and I thought, what the heck? You know, I, I assumed that chickens were kind of, you know, harmless and, so that kind of, I mean, that, honestly, that put me off of chickens. Um, <laughs> but later, you know, someone said, oh, it must have been a rooster. So, I mean, is it unusual oh, for, no. uh, for a chicken to peck yeah. somebody? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, like they'll, they're very curious, I guess. The, like the ones we have especially have been around kids and, and people like their mm-hmm. whole lives. Mm-hmm. If they were part of a huge flock on a farm, it might be a little different, but like when I go in and, and, you know, I do a lot of the kind of handy work. Um, so I'll like kneel down to like fix something and I'll just kind of get mobbed, you know, they'll jump up on my leg and like peck at the buttons on my shirt. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, they're not like, you know, they're not like tremendously violent, but they are kind of like little dinosaurs. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and, and they will, you know, if you, some of them, depending on their attitude, they have different personalities. Some of them, if you try and grab eggs from under them, they'll give you a warning, you know, but mm-hmm. um, not enough to hurt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Uh, so how does one, so if somebody's interested in becoming a member of the Egg Share Cooperative in Greenfield, Ryan, what do they have to do? Um, yeah, send us an email at, at, at eggsharecoop at gmail.com. Um and uh, we'll basically invite you to meet the members at a work day and uh, participate. And, um, you know, if you will, if you're interested, we'll run you through the chores and the commitment. Um, there is a financial commitment, obviously, because we pay for feed. Mm-hmm. That varies. Um, it's a couple hundred bucks in a, a season. Um, and, uh, you know, that's that's the ends up being, I don't know, I forget what we figured out how much it's, it's not cheap. <laughs> Let's just put it at that. It's not, you're not, we're not doing this. You're not to saving get, money. You no. Know, and, and, and at some point at some scale we will, I think, you know, but that's again, like part of the, the long-term goal of, um, you know, expanding into these other ideas, but like, yeah, if you're interested, um, and we obviously have a sliding scale too. So again, like mm-hmm. don't, you know, don't let that put you off. If you are, we're very interested in people um, who want to do this. It doesn't, if you don't have the financial yeah, means, commit. don't let that stop you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely a sliding scale. Um, but yeah, it's it's really that simple. We don't really have that much of a process. It's it's a community organization. So, you know, if you're interested, um, just, just send us an email and mm-hmm. um, we'll talk to you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so the, the you, you know, while well, I brought up the money thing, um, uh, part of what we're trying to, to figure out is, 
you know, how do we uh, create an economy of scale? Uh, um, and, and a few ideas have been batted around, but the, the most immediate one that we're doing is, um, is, is dealing with like food plants, planting uh, food species. And so this year we had a lot of luck with planting sunflowers. Um, we've had a lot of luck, like I said, with the fennel. Um, we've planted, let's see, we planted elderberries, uh, service berries, and we're going to be planting mulberries. Uh, we planted blueberries. So we're hoping that, you know, through the next couple of years, we're going to go from kind of a like plain kind of chicken yard to something that looks a little more like a food forest mm -hmm. and the food's going to be mostly to feed the chickens. Um, mm -hmm. And so we're hoping that that, you know, the foraging aspect of their environment will bring our food costs down. Um, mm -hmm. We're also looking into finding other, you know, either, either waste streams or, or excess food that we can, um, we can feed to them. A lot of our neighbors know, like, we like it when people come and bring food scraps and stuff, uh, not so much in the winter because of the rats and stuff, but, um, you know, that's another thing we encourage people to do is to bring over vegetables, not like sugary cereal or stuff like that. Just like you wouldn't feed, you know, kids, but, um, yeah, any of that stuff. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a big thing for, if you do have five chickens, mm -hmm. you're not going to be buying a truckload of feed. So it's not the most, it's not the cheapest eggs you're ever going to buy, you know, mm -hmm. like that's not why you shouldn't get into it for that. Yeah. I see. Well, we would like to thank our guest, Ryan Nestor, member of Eggshare Cooperative in Greenfield, Massachusetts. You may find additional information about Farm to Fork on Valley Free Radio's website, valleyfreeradio.org. This is the final live show of Farm to Fork, but our most uh, recent recorded shows will continue to air for some weeks. Our podcast, podcast site will continue to be available for a while if you would like to listen to recent archived shows. The podcast address is Farm to Fork dot pinecast.co that's p-i-n-e-c-a-s-t dot c-o our theme song sometimes i wonder where my food comes from was written by scraggly dan and the stragglers for this farm to fork radio program and performed by artists this farm to fork show will re-air this thursday from 1 p.m to 2 p.m on fridays from 6 p.m to 7 p.m here on valley free radio 103.3 fm you can catch up on Evidence-Based, the radio program that focuses on science, news, and information, skepticism and debunking, and topics related to atheism and the separation of church and state. The host of Evidence-Based shares stories that are timely and thought-provoking and in introduce the listener to uh, lesser-known historical figures of science, technology, and free-thought atheism. In the words of Matt Dillahunty, I wish to believe as many true things and as few false things as possible. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for Twilight's Poetry Pub with host Tommy Twilight.
Farm to Fork is a member of the Planetside Podcast Network. If you would like to hear past episodes, you can go to farmtofork.podcast.co or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Stitcher, or any podcast service that you use. Just search for Farm to Fork on WXOJ.